This is Alexander Sadig and you are listening to Start End Podcast. It was kind of funny, as you said, uh, the scene where Salvor seems so crestfallen, where mm-hmm. Gail says, I have dreams about the future, and, and Salvor's like, yeah, I have dreams about the past. We're kind of the same. And Gail's like, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hello and welcome to Season 4 of Star's End, the podcast dedicated to Isaac Asimov's classic sci-fi series Foundation. I'm John and together with my co-hosts Stan and Joseph, we'll be watching and talking about Season 2 of Apple TV's Foundation series, episode by episode. We're glad you've decided to join us. Welcome to episode two of season four of the Star's End podcast. Uh, guys, is there anything to uh, talk about this week or should we just wrap it up now and just uh, just come back in a couple of weeks? Or, or yeah, it'll be happen? fine. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes, yes, we got episode one of season two of the Foundation TV series from Apple. Uh, the, uh, something we suspected was never coming. It was called In Selden's Shadow and we're going to talk about it this week. We're going to go through all the details, good and bad. It was, uh, it, 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 well, it, it, it left me with a lot of questions. So let's go through what we saw in episode one. And by the way, um, we're now stuck in a situation where our episode numbers are going to be leading Foundation, the TV series episode numbers, because last time they gave us two episodes at once and we were able to align our episode numbers. But this time we didn't get that. So our episode two is their episode one. I'm sorry. I just there's nothing we can do. Okay. Our, our, our listeners are, are bright people. They'll they figure are. they are bright N minus people. one out the brightest. So we get a new set of opening credits, which I appreciated. I, I really find opening credits these days are an art form unto themselves, and uh, the foundation opening credits uh, they're 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 fun to watch. I, I like them. So we start off with a a picture of Harry Seldon babbling in a in a. In a big empty room, it looks like, where light's shining on him. We don't know where he is, but he is babbling to himself about the plan and and about, apparently, about Gale, and we don't know where he is. We switch to Gale and Salvor on Synax, getting to know each other, a little mother-daughter interaction. Uh, it's pretty awkward. They want to talk about whatever they can, but they're having a very hard time kind of sparking. But then we we do realize that they've only just met. This is This is their initial meeting. Both of them have been in cryosleep for the past 138 years. And uh, there's a bit of an awkward meeting. Then we hear a little voiceover about Trantor, about how it's been shrinking and the foundation has been gaining over the years. And we see the new Trantor, which no longer has the space elevator, but it now has these artificial rings around it that the Trantorians have apparently built in the ensuing years. Uh, then we go to a scene of Demerzel and Cleon. Um, they're doing it rather vigorously, in fact, which was a bit of a surprise. Um, they are in bed together. 
and all of a sudden the doors open and a bunch of ninja-esque assassins jump into the room Cleon springs out of bed and he actually if you, if you watch him he, he really seems to be enjoying himself clearly he's been trained in various martial arts he is beating up the various assassins he's having fun I, I left out that the, the initial thing that we see is Demerzel's head cut in half and a piece of her head falls on the floor and so we don't know what uh, where she is after that. He gets up and he says, if you think you can breach my aura, and the guy shoots him in the shoulder. So apparently they they can, in fact, breach his aura, which is a surprise to all of us. Uh, and yet he still fights and fights and fights. Finally, he's about to lose and about to be taken out by one of the assassins when we see a hand go through the assassin's body, twist and turn. Clearly it is Demerzel who has done this. But... Cleon has been hit with an apparently poisoned blade. Demerzel picks him up and carries him to this medical room where she throws him in this med bath. They've got 12 seconds to save him. She has to stab him in the chest with some kind of a thing. There are nanites in the wound, and uh, but but she's sure that he's going to be fine, and she has to go make up her face. Um, she's she's got to <laughs> build a new, a new half a head. Uh, we switch back to Harry, who is now... Um, in some kind of strange prison of crisscrossing lines. Uh, he had been pulled out of the other one, the other room, and now he's in this new room. Uh, we see a childhood memory. We see uh, little Harry doing some topology with a 3D object that makes a 2D shadow on the wall. You don't like the word topology, uh, Joseph? Is that, well, is that the wrong word? It's, it's, it's close enough. Okay. I'm, you know, you, you are a mathematician. I am an amateur. Yes, so uh, anyway, he, he, Cast, he sees how a 3D object casts a 2D shadow on the wall. Uh, we see an abusive dad, because I guess Harry has to have some childhood trauma in order to explain his future. And then we switch back to Harry in the in the strange place. He starts to figure things out, and he meets a lady. And the lady is named Yana, who is apparently his life mate. Um, again, <laughs> this is not exactly word for word with the books as written by Asimov. I, I was so upset. We'll talk about it later, but like I, I was I just felt so badly for Doors. Poor Doors, yeah. Like Doors, like Doors never knew about Yana that whole time. <laughs> like she would have been incensed. I'm incensed for her. I I don't know what she would have done. All right. And but... Harry. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. We'll get to it. I have a theory yeah, about we'll Doors. Harry, okay. Harry goes up to Yana and hugs her and then he's crying and he says something's breaking the future. And we get a, a view immediately afterwards of the Prime Radiant in a little tiny bit of foreshadowing if we hadn't figured out where Harry was before. We now see the Prime Radiant. Gail has a dream. She thinks that Salvor is in trouble, dives into the water. But Salvor is okay. She's been out rowing and, and somehow she managed to spear a couple of fish. She says she went bow fishing. Um, and brought a couple of fish. I hope they're edible. I hope Gail knows the local fauna. They have a conversation which Gail tells Salvor that she has dreams about the future. And Salvor says, that's funny. I have dreams about the past. Um, and they start talking about the Prime Radiant. And Salvor asks Gail why she hasn't tried to open it. And there's a, there's a little bit of a... Uh, uh, Salver says, I can tell when people are lying. And Gail's like, I'm not lying. And she does the thing with the coin flip again. Just to remind us, she has the ability to flip coins to whatever side she wants at, at any moment. Now we finally see Terminus, but only briefly. 
So this is Terminus 138 years after we last saw it, when it was basically a tiny settlement made out of the pieces of a spaceship and uh, a lot of desert. Now we see a big city. We hear an alarm going off. It's an alarm they have not heard in 138 years, and it is the vault. And they all gather around the vault. The null field, which is what protects the vault from people getting too close, is subsiding. We hear the prediction of the war with the Empire. One thing I did notice is that in the background of this conversation between it, it appeared to be the mayor and the, and the warden and a few other titled people, um, there are people in red robes kneeling on the ground in front of the vault. And I got a distinct monk feeling from them. There were a couple of references to the religion that might be getting built up on Terminus at this point. Now, this was something that we had talked about um, in the previews. Are we going to see what Cora Bullard called scientism, the religion of the foundation? And it does look from a couple of background hints, like, in fact, they are going to incorporate that, although the main line of the story appears to be the war with the Empire. Yeah, we, we certainly didn't get a heavy hand of the religion stuff this episode, but no. I, I those those hints are noticeable, especially if yeah. you, you're looking for them, which we were. Right. right. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if religion comes in in a the foundation religion comes in in a bigger way. Yeah, I mean, we did a few episodes see, from here. Right. We didn't see much of Terminus and the influence that it's been extending over yeah. nearby worlds, but we did hear about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we know from the books that that influence was at least initially spread via the Foundation's religion of technology. And they appear to be setting up something like that here. But we'll find out more. We did not see Polly Verisov, either himself or his son or his grandson or whoever, whatever Polly might be there. Uh, but again, but we, maybe when we get into we, the religion, we will we'll we, see that. Yeah, we do see him in in the, the that last trailer that they dropped. Okay. I, I, I did not realize that. Maybe I didn't. Maybe there's a trailer I haven't seen. Oh my gosh, not doing my job here. All right, back to the prison. He figures out that the woman is not, in fact, Yana. And he figures out from the rhythm of the words, something that Gail actually mentioned in season one about Kali, that it is the great mathematician Kali who figured out the ninth proof of folding, which apparently was integral in the plan and building the prime radiant. And so they're in the prime radiant, their influence is in the prime radiant. And that's going to be sort of important, although th these scenes are a little mind boggling, the whole Harry inside the Prime Radiant. It, it reminded me very much of that Doctor Who episode. Remember when he was inside the he's inside this device and he has to figure his way out of it. Mm. It was a Peter Capaldi episode. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. This just, just reminded me of that. Anyway, um, back to Synax. Gail says she put Harry in the Prime Radiant. So apparently what I didn't realize when she left the ship that she was on, I guess it was called the Raven, right? Is that right? Mm -hmm. She took the knife with her, which had Harry's digital essence in it. So she had Harry with her when she got into the cryopod. And then she decided for safety's sake to transfer him. I don't know. Don't know why this was necessary or how Gail knew how to do this, but okay. Maybe she had some time working with the Prime Radiant to, to understand how it works. She transferred Harry's digital essence from the knife into the Prime Radiant. And that's where Harry is. It's confirmed that he's, in fact, inside the Prime Radiant. And this is, and they realize that there are now two Harrys, as we've realized before. There's the one in the Prime Radiant, and there's the one over at the vault. Yeah, Gail doesn't really explain how she did this. She just says she did it. And she opens the Prime Radiant to show Salver the plan. And the Prime Radiant appears to have stayed current 
with current events because it seems to know what has happened in the 138 years and shows how there's a big red line that that the foundation is moving off the plan and there's a big crisis coming but behind that there's thousands of crises and they have to solve the crisis in order to get the foundation off the red line and onto the blue line you know pretty good update system that the prime radian has <laughs> yes yeah it you know it's set it's set to automatic updates yeah yeah it's a microsoft thing yeah, yeah. well then <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's just like well, what's his name floating in space? He just had to get close enough to the Wi-Fi. Yeah, you know that's Damn. exactly. You know that's really funny that somebody pointed out on Twitter. This is not about Foundation; it's about the Matrix. That there's a scene where Neo is talking to the Oracle, and before she will talk to him, he has to accept a cookie from her. Yeah, yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Scene. And I was like, I never thought of that. <laughs> Oh, I got that. I got that. <laughs> exactly that way. <laughs> yeah, that, that was deliberate, I'm sure. Oh, <laughs> God, yeah. Anyway, so Gail says that she was supposed to be on Terminus solving crisis number one, but it was Salver who did it. And so now we're on the red line, not, not, the, not the blue line. Uh, now we go back to the palace where uh, Cleon is being sewn up. No anesthesia because he does not trust the doctors. And in fact, he does not trust Brother Dawn or Brother Dusk either. And he does not want to be unconscious because he does not want them knocking him out and decanting another another Brother Day, which he's well aware they could do. He's staying awake. Um, this Cleon is all loosey-goosey. And I'm sure they're doing this on purpose. He's playing him in a very, yeah, very loose way. Like He gets up and he goes, hey, somebody get me a towel. My junk is hanging out here, you know? Yeah, that was that the this it was a noticeably different Cleon, noticeably yes. different. And, and in fact, yeah, I noticed yeah. that Brother Dawn was a much more take charge, no nonsense kind of guy. Yeah, very different Dawn. Very different Dawn, and I maybe less noticeable with Dusk. But again, I, I think they're trying to uh, they're trying to make all of them diverge, and they talk a yeah. little bit about that yeah. genetic divergence. We're going to get to that in a minute. Yeah, but the. But Day does seem insecure. Yeah, he's a very different Brother Day. We go back to the room where the assassination attempt took place. We see these assassinations who have no eyes. They're called blind angels. I don't know if there's ever going to be any follow-up from that. We see a new Shadow Master, briefly, briefly. Because Cleon does the thing with the fingers and he gets shot. And then he said something I thought was very interesting. He said, take all the shades from here and bring them to interrogation, which made me think that there's some sort of secret police in the shades. Who, whose commander is the shadow master and ah, that he now doesn't yeah. trust the shades. And so he's going to have them interrogated. Although there was no confirmation of that. And as I said, brother Dawn is all business. Um, they talk about brother day having children, which is interesting. We've never seen a Cleon having children before. And he tells brother Dawn that he's going to subject brother Dawn and brother dusk to an independent neural audit, which sounds kind of scary. I think what he's going to do is go read all of their memories and see exactly how much they're conspiring against him. And uh, Brother Don doesn't seem happy about it, but he sort of says, well, I have nothing to hide, so go right ahead. And we get some reference to Brother Day getting married. So he's gonna he's planning to get married and have children. More on that later. He goes to visit Demerzel, who is rebuilding the other half of her head with some device. And she says, don't worry, I'm okay. My consciousness is decentralized. Now a mainframe. 
she's now yes it's now distributed throughout her body or or we assume it's all in her body although that's kind of un asimov like because he always mm -hmm. has the positronic brain which is a brain if you well, cut until, it in half it would stop working yeah and until um bicentennial man how does he do the consciousness in bicentennial man uh well the, the response to andrew was that he they decentralized they were they centralized mm. everything so that the there's a bunch of independent robots running around who are all shared a brain Oh, right, right, right. Because they didn't yeah. want they didn't want independent right, right in that timeline. They didn't want independent robots because of him. So so is Demerzel like a an octopus or something? Like that, like what 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 sea creatures have decentralized brains distributed through a, a neural net? It seems very odd. Jellyfish? Jellyfish, yeah. Could be. Maybe maybe she's one of those. But uh I, I it seems very convenient that it almost seems like they went, wouldn't it be a cool effect to like slice her head in half and then have her just like build a new one. And we'll explain, yeah. we'll explain that in the script. Yeah. You know, yeah. It was, it was, I think it was definitely effect first, then like hand wavy, take care of the science. <laughs> yeah. Also brother day expresses some wonder at whether they should in fact be doing the activity that they were doing when the assassins jumped into the room and Demersel is, uh, she's all for it. She says anything given in love is, can't be bad. It's got to be good. And Brother Day is reassured. This is horny Demersel that we've encountered. And it's kind of interesting also in light of something that someone pointed out that David Goyer said in an interview that Demersel is presenting as female now, but that may not always be the case. Now, I don't know if that's true or if he just threw that in there or, or what, but I mean, clearly nothing about Demersel that has to be female yeah we, yeah we've talked about that being just like a desktop theme yeah exactly all right so moving on we see a spaceship with a shuttle coming down we see the rings of trantor they are inhabited uh, quite quite packed with people and we meet sarath and then on trantor uh brother dusk is watching the visitors coming uh off the ship He's standing there with uh, Brother Day, and Demerzel is uh, uh, not there. Um, Dusk is upset about what Brother Day is doing with Demerzel. Uh, Brother Day tells a dirty joke about the position that he's putting everyone in, which is, again, Brother Day, dirty joke. Okay. And Day tells Dusk explicitly that he suspects him and Dawn. And we see Queen Sarath arriving to talk about this proposed, although not finalized yet, marriage brother day says he wants to add basically says he wants to add new genetics because look at what's happening to the emperors they're drifting all over the place brother dusk says well maybe steering into the rapids isn't the the smartest way to do that and brother day says yeah but it's the boldest so he's willing to take some risks we're back to synax we got to get out of here and they're just and 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 uh salvor says i oh, will just go get the beggar the ship that she arrived in which has been underwater for 138 years with conveniently enough, a giant hole in the side that uh, Salver explains was shot into the ship just as she was going into cryosleep. Uh, the reason it's convenient is because I'm not sure if they'd be able to get onto the beggar if the hole wasn't there, but there's this whole thing about how she can't hold her breath that long. And Gail says, I can transfer. I know how to hold my breath. I can transfer some air to you when we're down there. We can do this. We can make it. Uh, I asked myself during this scene is like, is there supposed to be some suspense here? Are we supposed to be worried that one or the other of them isn't going to make it? Because I have to say I had absolutely none. I knew 
that whatever they did, both of them are going to be in this series for the next nine episodes. I had absolutely no suspense that they would, that this would do anything but go right. They see from some swimming rays that go by from their color. Gail says a hurricane's coming. They, they're building up oxygen. They're storing oxygen against the hurricane arriving. So we got to go. One thing I did notice in seeing, who's the actress who plays uh, Salvor? Leia um, Harvey. Yeah. Standing next to Lula Bell. Uh, Lula Bell is a tiny, tiny woman. I mean, Leia Harvey might be particularly tall, but they are they are not the same height. You know, they're they're there's a big difference in height. Anyway, so they jump into the water, they go in through the hole in the ship. You know, there's various moments of supposed uh danger where Salver's running out of air, they make the transfer, Salver gets somehow she has to open a panel and do some things, and the beggar is just gonna rise to the top, which is exactly what happens. Gail is in some pain. But uh, she survives. And, you know, you got to guess you got to take your hat off to what I guess was Thespin engineering from 138 years ago, that the ship would be just fine 138 years later. Pretty good. It's a tough little ship. Tough little ship. And uh, this whole incident has made Gail and and Salvor, uh, although still a little bit awkward, they're getting closer. They're bonding over uh, shared danger. Next, we go back to the throne room where Sarath and Day are sparring. Uh, they brought some presents. They brought some pigments. Dusk is extremely happy about these rare pigments that they brought. They can get just the color blue that they need. The gift that that Day gives is a globe of Trantor, and Sarath makes some pointed, scoffing remarks about, you know, is the Empire shrinking? Are you giving me this as a symbol that I'm not getting what I thought I was getting? And it's a, Day seems to enjoy the sparring. But then Demerzel arrives with news. So we go off into what I guess is like a situation room. And we see that they have found Lord Dorwin floating in space, 130, 100, yeah, whatever it is. Over, they say for over 100 years. Now, I'm not clear right now on whether they actually retrieved his body or not, because the question I have is, where would he be? The, the Invictus was in that asteroid field in the same system as Terminus and Thespis and Anacreon. So the Empire hasn't been there because they thought there was a mega flare there. But whatever, they get a, the last message from Lord Dorwin. He tells them that the Anacreons have taken the Invictus. They begin to find out the truth. They do about 14 seconds of research and realize that the that the mega flare, the fake mega flare that hid Terminus for the last 138 years was in fact fake. Why didn't we know this before? Well, this happened at the, at the time that we first discovered the, the genetic alterations that had been made in the Cleons. We were all for plunge it and we couldn't we couldn't do anything else and that's why this one slipped past us but now we know the flare was fake the foundation is out there and brother dusk says go crush them and brother day is kind of agreeable to that but demerzel says wait we need to do some research first we need to find out exactly what's going on out there and i will read to you what i wrote that Demersel says that we have heard of an alliance led by magicians who glow in the dark and fly through the air and whom weapons cannot touch. And that is more or less a word for word description Mm -hmm. of the foundationers from the book, from foundation. The 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 Anacreonians are describing what they think of the foundation. So that was interesting. They just kind of brought that in here and inserted it. And also, she says that the people speak of a galactic spirit 
who will return and guide his people to a promised new age, which is a bit of a mashup of what the foundation is trying to do in developing a new empire. And also a, a kind of a very much a Jesus image that he, you know, yeah, the galactic the, spirit is going to be reborn. But isn't the church of the galactic spirit, the thing that we saw in the foundation novel? We did. Although this idea of him being reborn there, now they're talking about a specific person being reborn. So they are, they are taking that from the book, but then, and they are clearly referring to Harry Seldon here as the spirit who will be reborn and day gets that immediately. So they decide to uh, to do some research, to do some investigation. Dusk has some pointed words for Day, concluding with, get your house in order, brother. I was all for that. Uh, back to the Prime Radiant. Harry has to solve a riddle now to get out. I, again, I wrote D&D &D and Doctor Who here because it, it seemed very reminiscent of, of both of those things. Harry now realizes that the woman is not Kale. She's not Yana. But... Parts of both of them are in the math, are, are, are built into the Prime Radiant. He says, I built the Prime Radiant to be this fourth dimensional learning thing, but it shouldn't be able to create a personification of itself. And the woman replies, yeah, but you, you're not the only creator of the, prime, of, the, of the plan. And so she more or less admits that she is the representative of the Prime Radiant with an interest in humanity's destiny. Harry points out that she didn't say survival. She says, yeah, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other, tomato, tomato. Uh, and she tells him his mind is damaged and it needs to be repaired. And he can't do the four-dimensional math that's going to allow him to escape from the prime radiant. So she says, well, and he remembers the childhood memory of the three-dimensional shadow on the two-dimensional wall. And in an analogy to that, somehow he reduces by unfolding the four-dimensional prime radiant down to something three-dimensional that he can deal with. And he's heading off to get out of the Prime Radiant. She said something I thought very interesting. She said basically that she would meet him at Una's world afterward. Do we know what that reference is to? I don't think I, so. I went straight to Star Trek with that. It's... Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think it's that Una. No, I, I don't, I don't think, think so. She, no, no. But we needed a Star Trek reference. So, you know, yes. there it is. <laughs> and then, uh, then we see the beggar floating on Synax and the hurricane is coming. The breach self-healed. Again, hats off to those Thespans. They built a damn fine ship. <laughs> but they can't get the ship off the water. It's not working. A salver can't calculate fast enough. She's dealing with like raw binary code. They need Harry, who's a digital creature. And they're while they're debating whether to set Harry free from the Prime Radiant, we hear a roaring voice that says, Gail Dornick, it's time you and I had a reckoning. And there is Hologram Harry. He's escaped from the Prime Radiant himself, seemingly very menacing, although I suspect that's one of those things that when they have their reckoning and they're going to be friends again pretty quickly. But uh, that was episode one. It was all over the place, all over the place. So it's like a think? completely different show. It was word for word, true to the book, right? Just word for word. <laughs> well, no, but I suspect after um, a lot of the references that, what we're going to end up with here is maybe a mashup of elements of the end of the foundation novel and the first chunk of uh foundation and empire um not word for word of course right, but right, you know up to but not including the mule i think maybe they're saving the mule for season three yeah uh right i i mean i i do feel like they did almost that they were careful to 
put in references to things that came out of the book, like that, like that passage that I quoted. Mm -hmm. And again, they, you know, they have not abandoned the idea of psychohistory. It, it seemed like they were trying to say to people who want the book, at least we read the book. Mm -hmm. And here are some, here's some stuff that you'll, you'll appreciate this if you read the book, but the story, yeah, the story has gone off in, into its own. They put their foot on the accelerator here. Although what, just before we leave this, I have to say like one easy gift that they could have given us who have read the book is to call Harry's wife doors. And the fact that they yeah. chose not to do that, I mean, it's so low consequence, but like, why not? Okay. Why not? Is the name doors? Did, did someone in the writer's room have a, have an ex-girlfriend named doors that he hated or like what? Okay. So here's what, my theory. Oh, okay. Here's okay. my theory. The prime radiant is going to get a body. And, and when that, when that mashup becomes sentient, that is going to be doors monopoly. Wow. That's wow. a bold prediction. I like that prediction. I, I hope I like it. I hope that that's what happens. You know, I, yeah, me too. Like that, that would be very interesting. I was, I was, I was kind of taken aback the, the fact that we learned that the prime radiant is sentient. Like that, that was, that was a new thing, which I was like, okay, where, where, where did this come from and where is it going? Um, like that would be the ideal solution for me if that's what ends up happening, Joseph. Like it didn't, it didn't make much sense given what we knew of the Prime Radiant as basically mm -hmm. just a very an overhead long projector. series, an overhead projector of a uh, with with a lot of very long equations in it. But you know, okay, so it's more than that here. Um, yeah, I mean, we've completely had to rethink the entire Prime Directive just in the basis of this episode. Yeah, Prime Prime Radiant, please. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so actually, that's 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 an interesting place to to dive in a little bit more not you know honestly we we start there the episode with mm -hmm. that very like i i thought of it as like a a very like film school kind of take <laughs> like like extreme like black and white like yeah, yeah. zooming around and, and the way when harry was talking you could right. see like the spit coming out of his mouth right, yeah, a very right. old school actor thing right right and then that that arc continues on through the end and Although I, I just mentioned like the surprise of the prime radiant being sentient, you know, really the bigger surprise for me is Harry. And we're given, we're given a characterization for Harry in this episode that is fuller than anything we got in all of season one, even though we got a lot, we got a fair amount of, you know, Harry's personality, but, you know, it really struck me that they're setting up a vision of Harry as this tormented guy, right? Who has, now we, we've seen he, he has a childhood with an abusive father and we see, you know, we learn about his family life a little bit. And, but, but just the, the kind of extreme acting even that Jared Harris did very well in mm -hmm. that. In he that hammed it up with the best of them. He, he yeah. did great, but you know, it just, showed me okay if this is what was harry's subconscious all along what what has been going on right and it it seems to me like it's we might get some revelations of some darker stuff about harry than than we knew before 
like oh, easily like i was i was set after watching this i was thinking it it really may have been harry who blew up the who blew up the 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 tower right mm. to set that all the in space motion. elevator yeah, yeah. Space well, elevator. That, we speculated yeah. on that but we yeah. never they never went anywhere with it yeah i i mean if if they're setting him up as this kind of deeply disturbed sort of control freak it it might be that or it might there might be other things that we learn but i'm expecting more revelations about harry's the way in which harry's own psychology plays into the way events unfold yeah i I also wonder about the the multiple harry's you know once they start talking about four-dimensional math i know this is this is actually argued against by some things we saw at the end of season one which i'll get to in a second but that there might only be one harry he just might be in more than one place at the moment and that i i doubt if we're going to get a lot of wacky hijinks harry versus harry scenes when gail and salvor get to terminus where harry comes out of the vault and you know they do the spider-man thing where they're pointing at each other <laughs> i suspect they're going to merge these harrys into one harry now the the argument against that is that when we first saw hologram harry from the vault he asked where gail was he did not know the events mm-hmm. yeah. that had led up to that well he at the simultaneously or as much as you can really talk about simultaneity this is a whole relativistic thing he was in the ship with gail talking to her so he should have if if my theory is right he should have known what happened to gail but i'm still holding out the possibility we're going to get a, a harry merger and there'll only be one but information travels at the speed of light yes yeah well if we're able to do four-dimensional math and we can fold space and there was some you know and we have faster than light travel where we have ships two different speeds of faster than light travel here maybe we can transmit information faster than light or remember this galaxy is very very small <laughs> that's yeah. right that's like yeah. light light, Cause, light cause can those, travel those... across it in half a year <laughs> <laughs> yeah those slow ships are like half the speed of light <laughs> no 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 they can't be because they got to they got from trantor near the center of the galaxy to terminus at least several hundred light years away in less than a year or maybe I, close to two years close to two years i, I understand that but I'm, I'm pretty sure i remember david goyer saying oh no those ships are very fast they're going at least half the speed of light yeah okay so we've established that david goyer and physics are not on the same plane of existence <laughs> but yes you're absolutely right <laughs> all right well we'll let we'll let him have that one you know he's he's got a lot on his mind <laughs> So beyond picking through the things that, you know, that are ridiculous, I mean, I, you know, again, there's the whole Lord Dorwin thing. What's that all about? I mean, I actually enjoyed the episode. Hmm. It was Me pretty I enjoyed it too. Yeah, it was, it was a wild ride. Um, it was. I, I, I have like, to, to be honest, that, that sex slash assassination scene at the beginning, like amazing, kind like terrible. Like I was, I was, <laughs> I was feeling nauseous almost just like when it was revealed that it was Demerzel that's in the bed with him and then like from there then she gets her head sliced in in half that nice diagonal cut I was like I I was just stunned like and but you know I'm not the kind of person who is shies away from like sex and violence on the tv so like I'm not I'm not (laughs) but but I'm not criticizing it, but it was just, it was really gripping and mm-hmm. terrible in, in all kinds of different ways at once. 
yeah my 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 thought process during that during that scene is was first oh this is icky and then the ninjas showed up and and demerzel gets her head sliced into half i'm like oh this is a dream that's sort of interesting (laughs) and and then and then you know and then they 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 get they get day to the 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 pool of, of resurrection or whatever the hell it was and then i was like oh wait this isn't a dream this is kind of screwed up (laughs) <laughs> well, I think there's a lot going on here. I mean, on the one hand, that relationship is just basically incestuous. Demerzel yeah. is mm-hmm. their mother. Yeah. And she's absolutely their mother. And so so I think that they are trying to show this brother Day as having sort of Nero-like qualities mm-hmm. to him. Yeah. You know, when I was I was watching, I thought this he's Caligula. So, you know, one or the Caligula other. Works. One or the other. They're, or Nero. Right, right. I mean, it's it very much that kind of thing. Like he's he gives off those vibes. He's kind right. of like gross, but also like kind of broy, like macho, mm-hmm. like Andrew Tate kind of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he, like you know, and he he's into he's into martial arts. Yeah, uh, and he's pretty good at it. So like he he gives off that kind of I don't know. I mean, it's a a toxic masculinity vibe plus Oedipal complex, something. Yeah, all of that. So, yeah. But I, I think they are trying to show that. Then I think I, I asked myself, well, what in the world does Demerzel think she's doing? And I think yeah. that Demerzel genuinely loves the Cleons. And she is expressing her love that, you know, Day says she initiated it. But yeah. of course, we know that these robots have a tendency to figure out what it is that you want and then get it for you. Yeah. yeah, it's the gender thing. Yeah, yeah, right, right. right. And so, but I, th- I think that she, she does genuinely feel love for them, and that, and that she is expressing it this way. We're, you know, allowing this to happen. Although I have to admit, I'm with Brother Dusk when he's out there on the balcony. He's like, "What the hell do you think you're doing with this Demerzel thing?" And and Brother Day is very dismissive of that. He goes, "Ah, you know, she likes it, and uh, and you know, the first Cleon did it too, so uh, it's not, it's not unusual, but it's pretty unusual." I, I also thought it was icky for Saad and I, there is still an ick factor to it, but I can actually see some dramatic reasons why it actually kind of makes sense in showing us the uh, the personality and the characteristics of this particular Brother Day. Yeah, because I mean, we're up to 17, so yes, uh, what the, or the 18 last... if you count Brother Brother Dawn. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. Yeah, the, the, this Brother Day is 17, so we're, what, five removed? Because the last yeah. brother day was was thirteen, right? So I mean, this I is a, right. this is you know a number of generations of declining genetic purity. This brings us to his plan to fight the genetic the decline in their genetic purity by getting married and having children. Now mm-hmm. I know that of course this is none of this is in the books. Cleon is barely a character in the books. But I have to admit, in going back, I have said many times I want more Cleon. I yep. love the character of Cleon as they've created in the TV show. And really, with this line of the story, that's what exactly what they're doing. They're giving me what I asked for, which is more Cleon. And and hey, if we're having a you know problem with genetics, truthfully, the, the solution to that in human history has always been bring in outside mm-hmm. genes and, and improve the stock, as it were. So it's not that crazy an idea, although both Brother Dusk and Brother Day are very taken aback by it. And certainly no other Cleon has ever done anything like this before. Yeah. And this is, you know, it is an, 
I don't know what he's thinking in terms of like how succession works, right? Like as he he has this family with this new queen supposedly, and then the kids from that are just they're out of the line. It's still gonna be brother Don who inherits. Yeah, um, that queen is not gonna put up with that. Uh, right. And yeah. actually, let me let me say we only got a a little bit with Queen Sarath, who is, I thought, was played very well so far by Ella Ray Smith. I I think that she is going to be get get some brilliant kind of Machiavellian uh, chances mm-hmm. in this season, yes. and I'm I'm hopeful from what I've seen by Ella Ray Smith so far that she might she might act the hell out of those scenes. But I'm looking forward to how this character develops because we are given plenty of like hints. That yeah. she she is a very crafty kind of ruler, right. and her advisor. The two of yeah. them are quite a team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'll say this, Joseph: the the we did not see everything from the trailers in this episode. This no, we time, did not. They took stuff from other episodes, so there's a lot of things in the trailer that are you know still to be to be resolved. Uh, let me say something about this Cleon clone and uh, having children thing. If I were the genetic engineer designing this genetic dynasty, I might have gone on and made made the step, and it might have even been a necessary step, depending on how you do this, of making Cleon sterile. Mm. That we know that he's going to go off and have sex with the palace maidens or whatever. You don't want any inconvenient, how, how shall we call them, illegitimate children running around. Yeah. So to the idea that he's not sterile is actually like, wow, that was something that the the engineers may have overlooked. But uh, that's that's neither here nor there. And, and obviously, it's something that could probably be corrected yeah. uh, at that point in our technological future anyway. But uh, but yeah, this is a very interesting storyline that's developing here as we bring in this outside antagonist for certainly for for dawn and dusk, but also for for day and and how that's going to factor into this whole foundation situation. We really don't know. I mean, we, we got the beginnings of a number of storylines here, mm-hmm. as is typical of a episode one of a season. Now we're going to see how, they, how those storylines play out and how they intertwine and all of that film school stuff. But it was, it was, it was a lot. It was a, an awful lot for an episode. Um, speaking of the way things might branch out and intertwine, I have one big question uh, from that scene where Salvar and Gail are sitting on the, the dock looking at the prime radiant. And we see two two lines go up from the prime radiant. One is nice blue and it's smooth. And then one is red and it has all these balls of crisis along mm-hmm. it. And in that discussion, they Gail says, so the blue line is the way that the history was supposed to go. And the red line is the way it actually went, mm-hmm. meaning the first going. the first crisis mm-hmm. was a failure. <laughs> like that's what I got from it is that the the wrong thing happened during the first crisis, and therefore mm-hmm. we're on a we're 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 not only going to have scheduled crises, we're having this infinite infinite 
you know, red line of crisis after crisis. I guess my impression was, go ahead, Joseph, go ahead. I I took that as entirely being about the second foundation because it was going to be Raish and Harry starting the second foundation. And then Gail showed up. I had no idea that, that, that Gail had actually taken that version of Harry with her. No, me neither. Me neither. Yeah. Well, we knew um, she had the knife. We did know she had the knife because we saw we, it. In yeah, the but 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 I I assumed that that yeah I just made the assumption that that Harry had been like you know downloaded downloaded into the ship basically. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I think you know there was nobody there to start the second foundation. I think that's the, I think that's the 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 path that those three characters are going to go on. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that, and I and I would say Dan to you that. I think that the it was not necessarily the solution to the first crisis that was wrong, because I think it was right. Harry was planning for the Invictus to come for the Foundation to hide. Yeah, it's almost like sort of like the exit from that then went the wrong way, because okay. maybe because Gale wasn't there to lead the Foundation or whatever, but that the you know, the first crisis was solved. Now that blue line also didn't have any other crises on it, but maybe they're much further into the future. I I don't know. Clearly, they wanted to find a way to graphically display to us, the audience, this is what these crises are. This is the significance of them. We better fix this one or the next one the right way. Otherwise, this whole thing is going to be a disaster. And I think it was actually fairly effective from that, yeah. from that point of view. I feel like they watched Loki. <laughs> yeah. I have uh, to say, though, I, 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 Loki reminds me that I've, I've had it up to here with multiple timelines and Strange New Worlds did it. <laughs> Strange New Worlds did it too. And no, actually, I, I didn't mind that so much. That was that was which is where my mind always goes. Back to Star Trek. <laughs> so I guess we are now looking forward to Harry is gonna help Salver and Gale escape from Synax. Mm-hmm. And they're presumably gonna head back to Terminus. Mm-hmm. And the Empire is going to investigate the Foundation. I, I assume we're going to find out more about the Foundation. Maybe we'll find out about the religion a little bit, which we've been hinted at, or more than hinted at. Right? There are rumors, and we have they had those red 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 robed monks, or whatever they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else are we going to get? I mean, I guess we're just going to get in. Oh, we have the the marriage, another mm-hmm. interesting storyline that's going to impact all of this. So. I'm yeah. intrigued. I'm intrigued. I mean, it 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 does seem to intersect with the original foundation occasionally. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I think we're getting. I I, th- I think we're getting distinctly more of. I could be wrong about that, but I think we're getting distinctly more of that. And it, it's kind of curious to me that we're getting. We, we're, we might be getting more direct connections to the books when we have shifted. You know, because really tonally the first season in a lot of ways was like the original you know the original trilogy and we departed totally from that so dramatically um in fact i think you know, you know as a metaphor because i mean there, there's a recurring motif of you know you know characters lifting and carrying other characters into dramatic effect i i think the difference between the two seasons might be characterized by those two instances that we saw that you know demerzel carrying dusk back to bed before he's going to die and day carrying dusk to the, the, the place where the, he's going to be cremated, both of those ending in deaths and Demerzel rushing, you know, in, in, in this Demerzel rushing brother day into that, that uh, rejuvenation chamber ending into something that continues. I mean, I, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's maybe the difference between the two seasons in a nutshell. Hmm. You're right though. The, the tone just seems to be completely different. 
from the first season. And maybe that's because of what you're, you know, in addition to what you're, what you're saying, that's because we're kind of going more or less onto a war footing here. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a war. And, uh, and, and now we're taking on a kind of a war tone. Mm-hmm. I, I think also, of course, we let's not forget that episode one of C of any season two is going to be a lot different than episode one mm-hmm. of season one. So like sure. in, in season one, we had to spend uh, like almost the first half of the season, just setting things up, establishing sure. characters, establishing the way the world works. Like here we hit the ground at like, you know, 70 miles an hour. That is true. Yeah. Cause, cause you're right. Origin episodes or pilot episodes can be a hard slog. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point, by the way, so we have not seen Hober Mallow, despite it being in the narration of episode one, season one. Well, at this point, we, we're well, we're well beyond Hober Mallow now, right? Well, you know, who the hell knows? Right. <laughs> but, I was thinking, um, did, did we get the name of that mayor? I think we got the name of the warden. Yeah. I don't know if we got the name of the mayor. It went by so. so quickly. Yeah. We or, did get or, the name maybe, of the warden. I don't think that's Homer Mallow, but I, I I say that because I'm also thinking about Bel Rios. Mm. And at this point, I kind of hope they don't just throw in some odd general who happens to be named General Rios just to, you know, because he was such a major character in Foundation and Empire, and he mm-hmm. couldn't possibly be here. This is Brother Day's war. This is not a war that's going to be carried out by a general. We we know that yeah. just because because we know how these things work, and also because of some of the things we've seen in the preview of Brother right. Day apparently on Terminus. So I hope they don't just go. Oh, here's a, here's a a, a bone for you book readers. That's generally like, those. Yeah, I, like, I don't want the like Lord Dolan. Lord Dolan. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think we were going to see Lord Dolan again, and we also got we also got a little cameo from Farah here. We did. That was very really nice. Yeah. yeah, nice flashback. I wonder if they filmed that back in season one. I bet they did. Yeah, I think that's just a. It wouldn't bring her back just to I film. It was just like, a clip. Yeah, or it's probably just a clip that they cut. From the first season or or that they were planning to use anyway but yeah it was good to see our old friend indeed <laughs> kicking the guy who's on his apparently on his <laughs> knees basically spitting on him yeah it's very good well i'm i'm very curious in how the relationship between um gail and salvor is gonna play out because i well there, there's two things i find found kind of interesting but like in that initial that initial interaction with them, you know, you can almost kind of palpably feel how much Salvor wants to be, you know, Salvor still wants to be special in some way. And, you know, she, you know, they're talking and it's like, oh yeah, Mari carried me, but I always feel as though I've been yours. And Gail just kind of shuts that down and and you just see how crestfallen she is. Yeah. But, you know, you, 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 you go back to the end, and this is probably unintentional. This is probably me reading stuff on top of what's there. But you get to the end of the episode, and it is, relatively speaking, so damn easy to get that ship going. Yeah. <laughs> that you almost think, wow, this is a conscious decision. You know, Salvor thinks, I'm going to put myself in cryostasis and wait for my mom. And I don't, you know, and maybe to, maybe even like in, in that one character in, in the, the door in the summer, I don't care if I ever wake up if she doesn't come. Absolutely. She, and she, she's explicit about it. She says, I almost like I heard a voice telling me to come here. Yeah. Look for you. When she wakes up, she doesn't say, Hey, could you possibly maybe be Gail Dornick? She knows that it's her mother. And there's another aspect of that as well, which I think is that she is 
looking for Gail to be her mother, mm-hmm. even though she has a mother back on back on Terminus. Yes, and she's and she's chronologically older. Than and she's chronologically <laughs> older too. Yeah, there's there's that. <laughs> but um, but yeah, but it, but you know, I mean, it's it's an interesting dynamic because I think it might be Salvor being disappointed over and over and over again. And where does that go? Well, it's going back to Terminus. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's true. It feels or like Trandor, there's going to be a so lot. Start this the second foundation. Yeah, I don't get the impression that the second foundation is going to be on Trantor. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah probably I, it, not. It's interesting because we certainly have got these two characters, mother and daughter, who have some kind of mental powers. It was kind of funny, as you said, uh, the scene where Salvor seems so crestfallen, where mm-hmm. Gail says, I have dreams about the future. And and Salvor's like, yeah, I have dreams about the past. We're kind of the same. And Gail's like, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the... Except, see, I, I think I think Salvor sees into the future. I don't think that she's controlling how those coins flip. I think she's yeah. predicting it. I think you're probably right about that. Although, although she does, she does manage to like get a strings, very improbable strings of like ten heads in a row. Although, I guess the mathematician you would point out to me that any string of ten results is going to be equally improbable. Uh, well, yeah, but actually. A, um, a a thing that that I've learned, and actually I've done this demonstration in in is a statistics class, is what people think is random isn't really random because mm. you know they, they they try to impose randomness on it. So you know you know you have you have like two kids flip a coin a hundred times, or actually you have one kid one one kid flip a coin a hundred times. You have another say, okay, you're just going to pretend you're flipping a coin a hundred times. You're going to write down a sequence of heads and tails. And you can always tell, or and you know, unless this unless this gets out, you can always tell, you know, which one is the person who's faking it because the real one will have a larger string of either heads or tails. Ah. You know, right. the, the 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 human brain goes, yeah, the the human brain goes, oh, this is supposed to be random, and I've had right. a number of heads in a row, so I better put in a tail. Right. Human beings, as bad as they are at things like probability, are absolutely hopeless at making sure a string like that fits in exactly. some sort of binomial distribution. There was exactly. it's funny when when um I'm gonna tell a little story here. Back when the whole Bernie Madoff scandal hit, somebody came up with a concept that said, well, we can actually figure out statistically if there's a high probability that someone is faking their returns. Because you count the ones basically. There's right. the well, what, what you do yeah. is you can it's called bias ratio. And you mm-hmm. look at the number of small moves up or down there are and the number of mm. large moves. So you're looking to see that the returns are distributed in a, in a mm. normal distribution, because even when people make money or lose money, their returns tend to be normally distributed over time. Right. When people are making up their results, they don't remember to make sure that they're normally distributed. Right. They're probably so way more likely at- to do uniform. Right. So effectively, you look at the distribution and you go, well, here's a normal distribution of, of returns that a regular fund would have, and mm-hmm. it fits a bell curve. Here's your here's yours. And there's all kinds of gaps and holes and, right. and things where you forgot to make sure. So, yeah, yeah. People do not think of yeah. you know, creating things that look random. They don't know how to do it. It is absolutely uh, borne out by my financial experience. Yeah. I mean, and that was actually was a fascinating thing. And it's the same idea to what you're talking about. But the idea is if you look at any collection of numbers, the set of things in that collection of numbers is going to tend toward like 30 percent. 
because I mean, if you think about it, you know, you start off with one, that's a hundred percent starting with one and then one and two is 50%. Then one and three is, 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 you know, one, two, three is, is 33%. You know, it gets down to even at nine, but then it jumps back up again at 10, you know, and then you're 50, 50 again, by the time you get to 20. Right. Yeah, you know, and so yeah, just looking at the, the just looking at the first numbers in uh, in the um, in, in the set of numbers, just looking at the first digits of all of those numbers can tell you if somebody's faking, and it's not an obvious thing. Yeah, so we're we're yet to see the full extent of Salver's powers, mm -hmm. which do seem to include the future, telepathy, and the past. And I don't think we've really seen the full extent of Gail's powers. I mean, she knows that she can predict the future. She did that little trick in the ship with Harry where she held up the panel and a, a little piece of space dust came through the window. Mm -hmm. She was able to catch it because she knew it was coming. But we don't know that that Gail doesn't have similar uh, similar range of abilities to what mm -hmm. what Salver has. It's very possible. And I, I, I'm assuming that's going to get played out. And all of that's quite interesting because we don't at the moment have a mule candidate, although that can be brought in at any time. And we don't have a second foundation candidate, but both Gale and Salvor provide candidates for, for all of that, potentially. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do, do we know that Gale knows what Harry was planning for the second foundation? I don't think so. I but I guess hologram, so. Harry, hologram Harry knows. So he can bring that. Yeah, yeah. Like he, he, he kind of explained it in that one scene on the Raven, right? Right. Where um, he was but, saying but, that they're going to do it. He has friends on Helicon and they're going right. to help him. But that's, but it was just like the barest kind of mention. It, it, he didn't go into detail. So I, but I he is here. He is, he is yeah. present. And so he can bring his, he can try to con convince Gail again to found a second foundation as, as soon mm -hmm. as they finish their reckoning. Yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, I thought I, I immediately said to my total head fake I wrote. You know, he's mm -hmm. coming out all angry, but really it's it's gonna be fine. Right? Oh, he's I gonna think get them off. No, they're gonna have they're gonna meet at high noon for a, a gunfight on the town square, and he will shoot holographic bullets at Gale. But <laughs> it's very possible. Yeah, no, I, I think I don't it, think so. Yeah, it's uh they'll they'll have some kind of argument to start out next episode but the the characters can't i don't know if they'll like be all best buddies going forward but they'll, they'll have a little argument but they, they're in the middle of a hurricane they gotta they need to they gotta get yeah. past that and get the ship off off the water yeah there's at least one promotional image of, of the three of them in in the on the on the, the bridge of the ship looking totally in concert i'm sure it's gonna be fine <laughs> how do you hold a grudge against harry come on <laughs> it's harry yeah, he's just sweet. Although, you know, this the, the, this Harry, I think if he's been in the the Prime Radiant and sentient the entire time, they pre you know they they foreshadowed this with other Harry going, oh, it would be a bad idea if I was I was oh, sentient all this time. Yeah, and of course, this is right. like four times as long. Yeah, yeah, he was right. in the knife primarily, and then moved into the Prime Radiant. Remember, although being in the right. knife doesn't seem like it was any better. Right. Like a, we we realize now that the initial scene of Harry. Is him in the knife, mm -hmm. and he's ranting and raving, and then he gets sucked out, and, I, and right, that we can assume right. is him getting oh, sucked okay. out of the I knife, and then stuck into the prime radium. Okay, I never, th I never thought about that. This is the advantage but, yeah. of watching the episode more than once, right? Which is what I have to do because when we do this podcast, I watch it once without taking any notes, and then I go back and take notes scene by scene. 
you know, I watched it twice too, although I didn't get that. But one thing I did get the second time around was um, when he's still in the knife in, in that film schooly total darkness, he's, he's very angrily blaming someone. And the first time through, I just thought, okay, he's just ang- still angry at Gale and he's, but, but then like, I thought about it the second time I was watching and it seems like a lot of it is not necessarily directed at Gale. It seems like it might be directed at himself. So I agree with you, but some of the th- times when he used the word you, he seemed to be talking about someone else. Okay. Now, I don't know if that's going to get borne out, but I agree that it seemed like he was berating himself and he was saying you meaning me. Yeah. But there was this one, I can't remember the exact instance, but there was one time when it felt like he was really not talking to himself. But I don't know. I don't know if I can confirm that. I'd probably have to watch it a third time to find out. Yeah, okay. But, you, know, you know, they were really, I think, trying to go for surrealism. And oh, yeah. that kind of shifting is totally in line. And it was a real chance for Jared Harris to just cut loose. Yes. <laughs> yeah, jo- like, Joanne, said, like Joanne said that Rand was, Rand was about them trying to channel Shakespeare, but no. Could, could, could be. A lot of modern portrayals of Shakespeare kind of seem that way. I just tried to watch the Denzel Washington Macbeth and uh, everyone in it was very good. Um, it was very true to the, you know, to the, they, they just did the play and yet I wasn't able to finish it. I'm not entirely sure why. Somehow they made it not that interesting. I I don't know why. Uh, he's a great actor. There you go. I, I, I agree with Joanne that that did look very modern Shakespeare. It's funny because I, I was recently dragged by a friend of mine to a performance of Macbeth at some tiny theater in New York. And it was great. They made it so interesting and so like, you know, you're on your edge of your seat. I mean, I know, I know every element of the story. Mm-hmm. I have read Macbeth in high school. I've read it subsequently. And yet these guys, when they did it, they made it just fascinating. And somehow the, the, I guess it's Netflix or, or Apple or somebody did this. And I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't stay with it. Yeah. I've but seen I stayed, some nice productions of Macbeth. I stayed with foundation though. <laughs> I stayed with it and it was it was it was exciting. Again, I, I think at this point I have just although we've talked a bunch about what elements of the book they're using and what elements they're not, I I don't really care at this point. I'm not I'm really not requiring them. Well, no, I, I mean yeah. that in the sense that I am not really requiring them yeah. to go back to the source material. And I, I am beginning to find these references to the original source material a bit cheesy. Fair enough. Thinking maybe they ought to just stop. You know, either either do the story as written or just don't and just don't apolog- constantly apologize for it. Yeah. Well, and I think I think, yeah, when I when we were talking in the last episode about what I want to see, I said, well, something I could get to the books in a meaningful way. Right. It's not just they're throwing out a name or they're attaching a name to somebody else. But, you know, something where there's some meat that kind of fits together, like that first episode uh, of the first season. Whether we get that or not, I don't know. And I don't, you know, yeah, it's not necessarily necessary. We did have that one little conversation between Gail and Salvor about psychohistory, the plan, and whether individuals were important. Mm. And they really came down on the side of individuals being important. That Salvor was important because she solved it, but also right. because she kind of solved it the wrong way. And that Gail was important because had she been there, she would have solved it the right way. And so the the psychohistory has really kind of 
taken a back seat to the individual people. And the way the story is building up now to this war and the marriage and you know what's going on on, on Terminus and the vault, it, it kind of feels like psychohistory is really being put in the backseat here. That this is going to be a war between people. I don't know. You know, I, I, I I'll, I'll, I'll have to disagree with you on that. I mean, like, I I grant what you're saying. True enough. Uh, At the same time, the word crisis was used in this episode, I think, as many times as it was in the entirety of season one. Like, we got a lot of references to a series of crises, the next crisis, and and so on, and that this is kind of predicted and and so on. So, you know, I, I mean, we're getting both. To get like I mm-hmm. we 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 certainly have plenty of space for individual initiative, people's odd choices tipping the balance of history. Sure, I, I'll agree with you on that. But I don't think it means that the the psychohistorical vision per se has been abandoned. M- maybe it's been edited. Maybe it, it's going to yeah. work itself out in, in some different way. But it's it's still there in some form. Well, let me put let me throw something out there. If, if Joseph is right and we have a sentient prime radiant that's going to be embodied, that's another candidate for the second foundation. Mm-hmm. Here is a device who encapsulates the plan, updates constantly with what's happening in actual history, and is trying to influence history to move it back to the right part of the plan. I mean, mm-hmm. if that's not the second foundation, you know, throw in the mental abilities of Gale and Salvor and you know, to me, that you've got yourself a second foundation right there. That's true. Very interesting. That is true. Yeah, at some point recently, I've been pondering the the whole. Um, I've been back to pondering the whole great man theory versus bottom up theory, and I wonder if the the ultimate answer to that ultimate question is that the historical realities at any given time are going to generate somehow the individuals who can who can take the the take the steps that are necessary. Well, that is more or less the bottom-up theory of history, that, yeah. that these great events are going to happen and that people are going to take charge of those events and they are going to be written down by history as the great men, but they're, the individual great person is not necessary. Someone will come along and take charge of the events yeah, of history. And, and yet that gives, you, that gives you a history that looks like a, a history of great men. Right, right. Well, and we in fact have a history that looks like a history of great people, I guess, though, the the Marxist view on that is that if it wasn't Napoleon, it would have been uh, Cruci or somebody like that. Yeah, well, I don't know. It, 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 it feels to me like we're getting to, you know, you know, back to where we we probably I think we landed with we with free will. Right. It, you know, it really doesn't matter as long as we have the impression yeah. that, uh, that we have. No, free it's will. true. We're, we're coming to a sort of a merger of these two ideas that history happens, but so do great people and. All right. Well, I mean, we we can only look forward to nine more episodes mm-hmm. of rollicking, frolicking uh, foundation. And and hopefully, I'm hoping that uh, we get more scenes of Brother Dusk just going ape over those little paint nuggets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he loved the paint. Like, <laughs> he was such a fanboy for those little pot, right. pots of paint. That he was mm-hmm. so. I just it was so cute. It was endearing. Well, that's his nice. whole job now is just to paint. That's right. Yeah. He's just, and yeah, also he's to just like give, give the side eye to Brother Day. Yeah. That's his yes. job. <laughs> Although maybe it's a, maybe it's a sign of the empire declining because they can't generate these things anymore. Maybe, maybe. And of course, uh, Sarath 
makes explicit reference to the decline of the empire. So yeah. that's definitely a theme. And that that is, you know, that's straight from the books too. I, I hope that Queen Sarath has a little talk with uh, Brother Day and says, you know, when we do get married, you're going to have to stop sleeping with your mom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you're, you really aren't going to need mechanical aids for, uh, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever kink you have. Yeah, and by the way, these two quote-unquote brothers just have to go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, they're, they're in serious trouble. That's right. So, so this whole family that you have, it's a whole, it's a problem. It's... <laughs> first it's, it's gonna be weird. let's let's move brother dusk out to the guest house that's right and like maybe we can send them off world send them on a little vacation yeah hey, hey somebody let the pickles <laughs> fall out <laughs> <laughs> oh no well we have all of that drama to look forward to and i did say i wanted to see at home with the cleons so i you know, we're gonna get we're gonna get that now. <laughs> I did not expect the Demerzel in the bed thing right away. <laughs> that's more of like a season five thing. I don't know. Yeah, uh, that, that's yeah. The whole first half of this episode is just the producers slapping us around. <laughs> Pay attention. All right. Well, we will be back next week with another episode. Our episode three, their episode two, and we'll see if that episode can live up to the. To the hype that this episode has brought us. Well, that brings this week's episode to a close. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and give us a like and a positive review on your favorite platform. You can also visit our website at starsendpodcast.wordpress.com, where there's always additional content. Our music, used by a Creative Commons license, is It Is Coming by Alex Mason. Also, follow us on Twitter at Stars End Podcast. Goodbye for now from the galactic capital of Trantor. This is where the stars end. <laughs>